Greetings to you in the name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Today's sermon text is Matthew 6, 24, but we're going to take our time getting to it. First, let me tell you that pastors are told the darndest things. For instance, once I was told, Pastor, you know, my whole life isn't about going to church, right? I don't just sit around thinking about Jesus all day long. I'm interested in other stuff too, you know. What do you suppose went through my pastoral mind when I heard that statement? If you're thinking of the Shema Israel, you're right. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 8 definitely came to mind. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Like, you know, all the time. (laughs) Maybe you were thinking of the time Jesus was tested by the lawyer. We just recently heard this text a couple weekends ago. He said, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, what's written in the law? How do you read it? Lawyer. And the lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Luke 10, 25 to 28. If This is where you thought my mind went. You too were right. The texts are related, aren't they? My mind actually raced to many different passages of Scripture. All of Scripture really deals with this. It went to the one that is in today's epistle reading as well. It went to Galatians 6, verses 8 through 10. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from his flesh, the flesh, reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. This text says the same thing as those other two, doesn't it? It says our whole life ought to be about sowing under the Spirit, not the flesh. It says the opposite of that darndest thing I was told. It turns out, if you think about it, God wants us thinking about Him all the time. It turns out that He wants us in church every week as that is where the Spirit gathers us in the presence of our Lord, in the trust of his promise that this church is where he has promised to be with us. It's where he said he will be with us to the end of the age and where we're able to actually do good to everyone as we gather together. Yes, when we gather together as church, we're doing good to everyone, especially to the household of faith. Our whole lives should be about going to church and thinking about Jesus all day long. And that shouldn't be a radical statement to hear anyone say, let alone a pastor. 
our whole lives. Everything we do should be about reflecting on Scripture. That thing which we live off of. Man does not live off of bread alone, but on the very word of God that comes out of his mouth. We should be reflecting on that and what our God has done for us and what he would have us do for others as his people who have been saved by what he's done for us. We have been saved by Christ crucified for the forgiveness of our sins, knowing that Jesus has fulfilled the law for us and wanting others to know that too. We should be meditating, not on our unfaithfulness, which is what we are, but meditating on his steadfast faithfulness to us. We're not faithful to him. He's faithful to us. And we should be exploring the depths and the riches of the way and the truth and the life that is ours, that has been given to us through Christ and him crucified. That's the reality. You see, when people make an argument for why they're not in church or or why other interests are crowding Jesus out from their heart, although, to be honest, I don't think many Christians, when confronted with this, would use that language to articulate what's going on in their heart, but that is the reality. When they make this, this argument, they think it actually sounds reasonable, which is why it can be told to even a pastor. You know, life is full of a variety of things, right? Certainly, certainly even a pastor ought to understand that there's more to life than Jesus and his bride, the church. There's, there's more to it than just that. We can't all be like pastors. After all, Jesus and the church, well, they're, they're the pastor's job. That's why he sits around thinking about them all the time. That's, that's why he's focused on, on Jesus and, and on the Bible all the time. Other people have different jobs. They have different interests. They have different hobbies, etc. Some people, well, some people are nerds for the Nazarene, while others geek out about other stuff, right? That's just how it is. Wrong. Jesus isn't just one of many interests, one of many things that you could focus your attention on. Jesus is God. He's God, friend. He's God. The minute we compare studying his word, the Bible, to some leisure activity, playing golf or whatever, going to brunch, the minute we compare that reality, as soon as we start thinking about being served by Jesus in the divine service through his spirit, as soon as we start thinking that it can be bumped by something else, The gathering in the presence of Jesus isn't a priority when this or that special occasion occurs, when when it's hunting season or we have family in town or, or something like this. The minute we do that, we've lowered Jesus from the divine throne that he sits on, from his place at the Father's right hand, and we've turned him into one of a variety of options. Jesus Now, he's my priority, yes, as long as something cooler isn't happening. Pastors are indeed told the darndest things. All of this reminds me of another thing I was told one time, of what one of my aunts said to me. 
As you may know, I'm, I don't come from the, the most devout Christian family in the world. And one time my aunt felt the need to defend a family member who wasn't going to church. Actually, I don't know why. In the whole scenario of things, she didn't need to make an argument for this person. The only thing I can think of is that my mere presence as a pastor, my existence in the family as a pastor puts people on the defensive. And so she felt compelled to defend someone for not being in church. And she said, you know, Ty, not everybody in the family takes their faith as seriously as you. And then she said, after all, we're not all pastors. As if the only reason that I take the faith seriously is because I'm a pastor. And so I replied, I don't take the faith seriously because I'm a pastor. Actually, it's the other way around. I'm a pastor because I take Christianity seriously. Now, what does I mean by that? Certainly not that everybody who takes the Christian faith seriously will become a pastor. No, certainly not. That's absurd, obviously. One example of this is that women can take the faith very seriously, and yet God's word doesn't permit them to be pastors, despite what Ferndale Community Church would have people believe. A sincere faith doesn't always lead to the pastoral office. That's not the point. What I meant, and what she understood that I meant, is that pastors are serious about the Christian faith well before the stole is placed on our necks. Me being a pastor, it happens to be the consequence of me taking the faith seriously, yes, just as you taking the faith seriously has real-life implications for how you live your life, how your life looks. It looks like a Christian one. And that is one where Jesus is your God, not your interest, not your hobby, not your, your pet passion, your God. So what's the point of all of this? I don't normally tell you anecdotal stories about myself, so why am I doing that today? Well, as I said at the beginning of the sermon, Matthew 6, 24 is our text. That's what we're looking at. We're just going to take our time getting there. Well, we're there now. Here we go. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and fill in the blank. And so where is your devotion, Christian? That's the question for today. Are you devoted to Jesus? Because if so, you want to orient everything you do in life to serve him. And you serve him by serving your neighbor with his love. Your actions and your interests, you want them to be in service to Jesus. Does this mean you don't have hobbies or interests that are connected to seemingly unrelated aspects of your life? That you won't have work that isn't church-related? No! No, it means your interests and your vocations are all prioritized properly, and they don't bump or trump Christ. Nothing bumps or trumps Jesus. It means we live as those who understand Matthew 16, 26, yeah? For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? To be honest with yourself today, saint. Take some time and pray about this. 
reflect on your choices in life. How are you doing with this? Are you trying to serve two masters? Be honest with yourself. Are you trying to serve God and something else? Is there something in your life that that matters more to you right now than Jesus? And only you can answer this question. Is there something that's more important than being in church where Jesus, God in the flesh, where the second person of the Trinity has promised to be with you in spirit to the end of the age? He has promised to be where two or more are gathered in his name to the end of the age. Is there something more important in your life than being where he is, where he has said he will be? What's keeping you from serving your true master, Jesus Christ, fully? As Jesus says, when we, when we try to have more than one master, he says, we'll, we'll love the one and we'll hate the other. And when we hear that as Christians, when we hear that, we, we say, oh, no, certainly I don't hate Jesus just because I care more about this other thing and we wouldn't want to even admit that we care more about the other thing. But that's the reality. He's saying you're hating him when you care more about this other thing than him. Would you call Jesus a liar? He says that's what we're doing when we put anything else next to him in the priority slot. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It's enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. Matthew 10, 24, and 25. How are we disciples, those of us who are disciples, how are we like Jesus, our teacher, our master? We're like him when we follow him, when we take up our cross like him. There ought to be nothing Nothing, no interest, no hobby, no work, no relationship, nothing that bumps or trumps Jesus. Jesus says, not even our relationships. Read Matthew 10, 34 and following. Not even our family members can, can even ride alongside Jesus. Whoever does not take his cross and follow him is not worthy of him, he says. Whoever finds his life and someone or something else will lose it. And whoever loses his life for Jesus' sake will find it, Matthew 10, 38 and 39. Now, because you're like me, and, and I know this sermon pressed the law hard onto my heart, allow me to, to uh, dish out, allow me the pleasure of dishing out the sweet sound of the gospel. See, temptations to not take the faith seriously, to pursue this, that, or the other thing, these temptations that want to bump or trump Jesus is precisely why our Lord lived his perfect life in our place and died his grueling death as our substitute, your substitute, our little faith. It revealed our desire to be about more than just Jesus. And that's why Jesus was resurrected from the dead, showing us just what he's given us. 
when we realize we've fallen for the trap of serving another master, when that temptation snapped around us and we fell for it, we need only repent. That's the grace of our God. And it's not cheap. It was well-earned. It's free. But it was well-earned by Christ. So all we do (laughs) is be honest, turn back to Jesus, and live in the forgiveness that he has won for us. You, dear Christian, were baptized into his life, his death, and his resurrection. They're yours. And this is why it happens. That when we repent of our sinfulness and we turn back to the way, the truth, and the life, turn back to Jesus, when we we make him our priority, when we follow after him all the more fervently after our repentance, when we recognize that we're easily interested in nearly anything and everything more than we're interested in Jesus, when we're honest about that, when we, when we realize we have other masters and we confess that we do and we own up to that sin, then we recognize how meaningful it is that we're justified by Jesus' blood and not by our own holiness. And then, then we, be act, we actually begin to be holy. Then we, we actually live in the sanctification that the Holy Spirit is working in our lives because of the justification of Christ on the cross. When the law presses hard onto our hearts like, like this, like today, and when it gets real with us and it shows us that we put so many things before Jesus, when this happens, the Holy Spirit, he's bringing us into step with him. Right now, we're not in step with him, but he's bringing us into step with him. This is the sanctification process. He's bringing us back to the cross where we can receive the justification that we've received from Christ. And we begin to live by the Spirit. We begin to be insubordinate to our other masters. And we return to our one true Lord We return to the one whose spirit is sanctifying us and drawing us closer and closer to him, setting us apart from the world in such a way that all other interests become captive to Christ and him alone. And they, in many and various ways, become instruments at our disposal to serve our one true master who loves us and whom we love, Jesus Christ, the crucified, our Lord and Savior, the Son of our Heavenly Father. Dear Christian, you were baptized. If you haven't been baptized, come get a hold of me. Let's let's baptize the hell out of you. You were baptized. The Spirit is keeping you in step with him. So now repent of your sins, dear people. Dear saint, dear Christian, repent of your sins and come to where you freely receive your master's body and blood for your body and soul, that your body and soul would be strengthened to serve God in in all the things that you do and all the interests that you have in Christian devotion and in humble, repentant love. Amen.